Hi everybody, I'm a believer in Jesus and recovery for sex addiction. My name is JD. Hi JD. My name is Karen. I'm a believer in recovery from codependency and I'm also an adult child of an alcoholic. Hi Karen. I am the middle child of three daughters. <clears throat> my mom was able to stay at home while my father worked to provide a nice home and great vacations for us. Things looked good on the outside at our house. We were nurtured and loved, no doubt about it. But when drinking was involved, we became secondary. My mom ended up the alcoholic, my dad the codependent. When her disease kicked in, my dad took over the household. One morning remains vividly clear for me. Mom was hungover and didn't get up. Instead, dad got us ready for school. This was so painful for me. My perception was that she didn't care about me and that I didn't matter. I cried the whole way to school, and when asked what was wrong, I lied and said my sister had hit me. That was when I learned how to cover up the truth and lie. I can remember during a scary thunderstorm one night, my sister and I remained paralyzed on the stairs. We were afraid to go downstairs to be with my parents. They were both drunk and had been yelling at each other. We wanted and craved the comfort that only a parent can give, but didn't dare move in that direction. Instead, we remained frozen in our fear, unable to move. This was an experience that shaped my character, as I certainly stayed frozen in my fears in my relationships as an adult. My younger sister came along later on in life. She was born with Williams syndrome. It was said that maybe mom's drinking contributed to Kristen's condition. I don't know if that's true or not. What I do know is that I spent a better part of my growing up years hoping that she wouldn't say or do something that embarrassed me. Another recurring theme in my life, I usually thought that other people's behavior was a direct reflection on me. Truth be told, Kristen is a blessing to everyone she meets. She loved Jesus and knows him quite well. My parents divorced when I was 12. It was my dad that wanted to leave, which I never understood. Mom had recovered from what would, end, what would turn out to be her last relapse. Why would my dad leave now that she was getting better? He quickly remarried and took on a whole new family which for me spelled abandonment and betrayal. Soon after the divorce, my mom wanted me to go into therapy. The last thing I wanted to do was to talk about my feelings. What I knew about my feelings was that I didn't want to feel them. I didn't know where I fit in at school, so I tried drinking and smoking. This carried on into college, and boy, did I cut loose then. I'm the third son of a family of three boys and our baby sister. I was provided a very comfortable upbringing, a loving home, and where we went to church a lot. We went to church a lot. There was no abuse, alcoholism, drug usage, or anything like that. Our unspoken motto was, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run around with them that do. When my teen years came along, I was very careful never to drink, smoke, 
or chew, you know the rest. <laughs> I was the lily white goody goody. What everyone saw was someone who excelled in music, sports, athletics, got awards, graduated high in his class. But what everyone did not see was the hidden part of me, the hypocrite. I didn't even know it yet, but I was a sex addict in the very early stages of development. I put myself in some pretty unsafe dating situations. I was waiting for Mr. Wright to show up and sweep me off my feet. Finally he arrived, or so I thought. I noticed that he seemed to have a tendency to go overboard with the drinking and that he pulled all-nighters, but I chose to ignore the red flags. Besides, I grew up around drinking, so this was kind of comfortable and familiar for me. So we got married. We spent the first few years happy on the outside, but the pain was beginning for me on the inside. My discovery of pornography was pretty much on my own. Magazines were the beginning. Then I went to college and I dabbled in more things when I could. In the next summer, I went with an 11-person Christian rock group that traveled all over to seven states. <clears throat> when uh, we were doing a concert on the boardwalk in Asbury Park, New Jersey, I met a young woman who talked with me after we played. She was part of the Jesus people or the Jesus movement, which was basically a group of hippies that smoked pot and praised Jesus. They did. She mystified me. After dating and finding out that she was open to premarital sex, I decided to marry her quickly. This did not make my parents happy in that she was from New Jersey, she was Catholic, she smoked, and she did not wear upper supportive undergarments. <laughs> So, of course, we married. Patty and I lived in South Jersey for six years, and we have two beautiful daughters together. Shortly into our marriage, however, I learned that marriage did not provide an endless supply of daily guilt-free sex as I had supposed. The abandonment, betrayals, and bargaining began. The coping skills that I learned as a child became quite helpful. I easily covered up for him by lying when necessary, and on the outside, boy, was I a hero. After all, I was married to a practicing alcoholic and drug addict, but was able to hold it all together, all by myself, or so I thought. We started going to church, and God began to give me hope. The Jesus I had asked into my heart years ago began to speak to me ever so gently. After my mom got breast cancer, I decided to quit smoking. This was the most challenging of all things for me to give up. Cigarettes had become my friend, my solace. I quit and relied on God to get me through it, and he did. I haven't had a cigarette in 15 years. <clears throat> I quit drinking, mostly because I thought my husband would follow suit. I threatened to leave him more than once and berated him on several occasions. I cried, begged, and manipulating, thinking that I could change him, but it never seemed to work. 
While getting free from some of my unhealthy behaviors, my husband was going deeper into his addictions. He did go for treatment eventually, and we started going to recovery meetings. I went to recovery because I knew it worked. I was miserable and in so much pain. I was so steeped in my codependency that I literally could not see what was so obvious to others. All I saw was Sean clean and sober someday and me standing beside him holding the flag of victory. Even though I was married, I went deeper and darker into sex parlors and strip clubs. I knew it was wrong, yet I could not stop. My addiction was progressing steadily. Our church decided to call a new young pastor with his wife and two kids. And I noticed that his wife was pretty, and later I found out she was also very needy. It was surprisingly soon that I was in, my, in a full-blown affair with her, my first, an affair with the pastor's wife. It was crazy, but it was thrilling. All the fun I'd missed as a teen, the drinking, the parties, the experimentation, that paled in comparison to this roller coaster ride. It was so thrilling. Of course, I felt guilty, of course. But it was just too strong for me to quit. As always, the truth came out. My wife was devastated. My kids couldn't believe it. My nine-year-old daughter asked me, Why, Dad? Don't you love me? <clears throat> Needless to say, the church was destroyed. The pastor lost his job. There were hurting families all over the place. So I left my wife and my daughters, and I married the pastor's wife. We were married for nine years, during which time I sold my business, and I went to work in national sales for a company based in Atlanta. A fresh start. However, my disease continued on. It really kicked into high gear when my job took me to all different cities all over the country. And I uh, was in these towns where nobody knew me. I progressed further into things like massage parlors, very hardcore videos, a few call girls, which are also known as prostitutes. I was getting sicker and sicker, and I couldn't seem to stop. I tried to stop. I'd get all convicted. I'd go to the altar and say, God, take it from me. I don't want to be this way anymore. But he never just took it because I really wasn't ready to give it away. And the bad thing was the old stuff wasn't good enough. I always needed more. Always had to have more. Sean and I were going to be the recovery couple. Where was God in all of this? Watching over me and keeping me safe. 
He was setting up a network of caring, loving people to help me on my own road to recovery. At the time, I didn't know how to ask for help and was certainly too proud to admit that I needed it. Then the Lord permitted me to break my ankle. He used this event to humble me as it gave me no choice but to ask for help. My husband abandoned me in the middle of all this. The day after I broke my ankle, he left to go to the store and didn't come home for two days. I was finally disgusted with myself. I remember looking into the mirror and not recognizing the guy looking back at me. I sought out Christian counseling, but I was still messed up. My marriage to wife number two was suffering. But it was not long after that we were counseling a young couple whose marriage was rocky. Yes, I, the divorced sex addict, was doing marriage counseling. Soon enough, I started having an affair with the wife that we were counseling. She understood me. I understood her. She got me. So I thought. She was only 19 years old at the time. We married in October of 2002. On the last day of our honeymoon at the beach, I got a call that my high-paying job was immediately terminated. No severance pay. I was to turn in my company car, cell phone, computer, and my credit cards immediately. So after being married for two years to wife number three, we had the opportunity to move. Another fresh start. So we decided that we would move to South Florida, paradise. I was faithful to her throughout our marriage. We were seemingly very happy. There were never any big arguments. We traveled a lot. We had a lot of fun. Yet, I still needed more. After hearing a sermon on pain, P-A-I-N, that really grabbed my heart, I found out that a 12-step step study was starting. I was compelled to go, not knowing what Celebrate Recovery was about, but I heard people say that CR had made a big difference in their lives. Man, were they right. I was getting better. I was working the program. I had a sponsor, accountability partners, and I was getting closer to the Lord all the time. My wife was happy I was in recovery, or so I thought. Then seemingly out of the blue, she said that she needed to get away and find herself. So she walked out. I was in the middle of my fourth step, and I was crushed. I just did not understand. I had to tell my family and my friends that I couldn't go it alone anymore. I needed help physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I couldn't understand why Sean would choose drugs and alcohol over me. So I moved in with my mom. I went to counseling and started receiving the healing I so desperately needed. I was shown the lies and deception that the enemy so readily used to keep me stuck and living in fear. God led me to Joel chapter 2 verse 25 that says, the Lord will make up for the years that the locusts have eaten, and I grasped on to that promise. Eventually, I went back home. 
Sean finally went to an in-house treatment center. This gave me hope. After being gone for nine months, he returned home and within two months was back to using, this time with a vengeance that I had never seen before. It was scary. I was going to celebrate recovery meetings, learning to identify my feelings and to even feel them. Before recovery, I used to skirt around difficult issues, especially if it involved being honest about my feelings, but this time I needed to face the pain. Through Celebrate Recovery and Al-Anon meetings, I started to get better. I was able to see that I might have a part in the bitterness, unforgiveness, and rage that I was carrying. Jesus showed me the way out. I knew I was going to be okay no matter how things worked out, which was a good thing because things didn't work out the way I had planned. The difference for me this time was that I had a solid foundation in recovery, a sponsor, and a support system. I learned that I had choices and that the victim role no longer fit me like it used to. Eventually, God let me know that my marriage was not what he had intended and that it was okay for me to leave. I was so worried about the details and the outcome, but my sponsor told me I could let go of that too. This was new for me because I used to try to force solutions instead of asking for God's will. So I let go and God showed up all over the place. Looking back, her leaving was the hand of God at work. My recovery brother said, J.D., God just saved you from a ton of hurt. However, at the time, all I could see was the hurt. I was truly alone for the very first time since high school. She even took my dog. Upon advice by my sponsor, I decided to take a year to just work on myself. No dating. Focus on recovery and try to learn how for the first time to be a man of God. I finished my fourth step, revealing a side of myself that I'd never been able to see, and my ninth step, where I was able to make amends and ask forgiveness for those that I had hurt so badly. I joined my second step study soon after my divorce. This time it was a one-year commitment. I dragged my feet and whined until God made it clear that that was where he wanted me to be. I had no clue what was ahead for me. My fourth and fifth step brought such freedom. My old wounds got opened up, cleaned out, and the healing process began. Chains came off of me. Bitterness and resentment no longer had a place to reside. I was introduced to this guy named JD by, my future, by mutual friends in recovery. I was a little unsure of him in the beginning, and I knew my picker was broken. J.D. told me about his background, and I thought, oh no, his past was way too much for me. <laughs> then the very next morning, God reminded me that I too had a past, and that mine was no prettier than J.D.'s. Karen's entrance into my life was unique. She was in the step study, and I was co-facilitating my second step study. During the break outside, God tapped me on the shoulder 
and he spoke very clearly to me and said, I want you to speak to that person. And he directed my view across the field to Karen. I argued back, her? Yes, he said. At that time, Karen was not the same lovely woman you see before me today. <laughs> she was dressed, let's say comfortably, for South Florida. Floppy t-shirt, some sort of shorts, and flip-flops. It was not exactly the va-va-voom girls that I was usually attracted to. So I asked God again, God, her? Yes, her. So I spoke with her. When I thought about what kind of man I'd like to have in my life, I told God that I wanted someone tall and handy. Eventually, I asked JD about his work. He handed me his business card, which read, J.D. Gandhi, owner, Handy Gandhi Services, LLC. That's true. We celebrated our ninth anniversary last month. Mm -hmm. God is making up for the years that the locusts have eaten. Today, I'm in a healthy, recovery-oriented marriage. I never knew that a marriage could be this good. I really had no idea. My heart is happy <clears throat> and unafraid most of the time. Sometimes my old character defects pop up. Insecurity, selfishness, fear, you name it. But now, through the 12 steps and my higher power, the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a way out. Since I uh, was married to a woman that was younger than my children, they did not want to speak with me. However, today, now they are speaking to me. And we get to visit with them and my three beautiful grandchildren, and we have another one in the oven. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to see them in Maryland this coming Thursday. I'm going to drive and see all my children and my grandchildren. They're still a little guarded, and over the years they have been. I missed out on a wedding. My daughter asked me, Dad, please do not come. And the births of my grandchildren. But now, today is a new day. I embrace life now one day at a time. I'm on the phone or in touch with my accountability buddies every single day. I'm a leader of the Celebrate Recovery in Charleston, and I get to play on the River Ridge worship team. I praise God every day for recovery, for showing me the way, for pulling me up out of the pit of sex addiction. What I could never do by myself is being accomplished through working the program, making meetings, and living life enjoying one moment at a time. In Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, it says that those who wait upon the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. I'm still learning to wait upon the Lord. 
it isn't always easy, but God continues to have what's best for me. And I do feel like I'm soaring on eagle's wings. If this is your first exposure to Celebrate Recovery, I hope that you see now that it is about real people helping real people. We don't fix each other, but we do help each other find healing for whatever hurt or hang-up that we have. My favorite Bible verse is in James 5.16, which says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I love that verse. And that's what we do. The hardest thing for me was walking through the door the first time about 12 years ago. But I'm so glad I did it. My life has never been the same. And your situation can change also. Just walk in on a Monday night and then keep coming back. Thank you for letting us share. So something, did y'all turn me off back there? <laughs> something that we do at Celebrate Recovery after somebody's shared their testimony is we pray for them. Um, it's, as you can tell, very vulnerable to um, share certain parts of your story. So um, if you'll join me, I'm going to pray for Karen and JD. Father God, thank you so much for this day, for your unconditional love, and um, just for the Celebrate Recovery program, Lord Jesus. I thank you for JD and Karen and for their story, for this part of their story, Lord. You're still writing their story, and I'm thankful, God, that um, they have the courage to share with us. Um, even those parts of their story that seem really dark and the parts that are hard to share. I'm thankful that you have brought even something good to those um, because they share their story and they share their hope and encouragement and strength with others. Just fill them up, Lord Jesus. Just surround them with your presence and your peace and your unconditional love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so, at this point on a Monday night in our service, um, our large group service, wow, it's awesome to see your faces. It's so awesome. I'm going to get emotional. Um, what we do is we dismiss our large group and we go into small groups. The women go with women and men with men. And back at our Celebrate Recovery table, there is um, a pamphlet that lists about 12 or 15 different areas that somebody might come to Celebrate Recovery for. It's just a little... Um, something for you to take and look at. Um, and so we would dismiss the groups, and we're in the small group for about an hour together, the women with women and men with men. And it's a really great time of sharing. That's where we really grow our relationships and learn to trust each other so that we can share our junk. Um, and until we start sharing our junk, it's really hard to receive healing for it. Then the next thing, also, we offer step studies. This is about a year-long commitment, and it's like a Bible study where women meet with women and men we meet with men. We have four participant guides, and we go through each step, each of the 12 steps, and it takes about a year. And this is really where somebody that's in recovery can really get to the meat of their problem and really begin to flourish and heal. So if you're interested in 
taking one of our step studies that's going to, we're going to start at the beginning of the year. We also have some sheets out at our Celebrate Recovery table that you can put your name and um, phone number and or email address on so that we can contact you when we get the date set for that. So while our large group is going on, during the large group and during the small groups, we have free childcare for children up to age four, and then we also have a pre-covery program for children ages five to 12. So if you have children and you're thinking, well, I can't come because I have kids, we have a place for your kids to go while you're getting your recovery, your restoration, and your healing. And they will also be getting a little bit of, of that too. Um, so every last Monday night, um, we have something that we call chip time. And we have chips and coins. We have some coins that are really metal, not plastic. But <laughs> So we have chips that cover 30 days up to you can get a 35-year coin. And these are um, to actually celebrate our victories from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, depending on how long we've been in recovery. I personally get to celebrate next year five years for my recovery. Um, <clears throat> it's been a journey, and God's still writing my story, but um, I'm much happier. I'm a much happier person now. So one of the most important chips, I think, is the blue chip. And it is what we call the surrender chip. And this would be, um, like for myself, for my codependency, what's the first thing I ever walked forward and got a blue chip for. It's just saying, I surrender this part or this thing in my life, this part of my life or this thing in my life to God, and I'm willing to work on being healed. So um, if you all happen to come tomorrow night, you'll be here for chip time. And I'm hoping to see... Be nice to see all of you here tomorrow night. I'm not sure that we could feed everybody. We're, we're probably not prepared for that, but it'd be awesome if we could have everybody come tomorrow night. So something that's really important to us at Celebrate Recovery is anonymity and confidentiality, because if you can't share your junk in a safe place, you're not going to come and share your junk. So if you all would just say this statement with me, this is something we say every week, um, and it's extremely important to us. So what you see here what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here, here, here. I hope you all have an awesome Sunday, and hopefully I'll see some of you all tomorrow night. Have a great week.